Welcome to the Mission LHC podcast, where you'll hear real conversations with a married couple that are on a mission to help other couples as they learn to love, honor, and cherish each other in all stages of marriage. My name is Heath Yearwood. And I'm Amanda Yearwood. And thanks for joining us as we laugh together and share our story together in hopes that we can be an encouragement to you. Welcome back to a second part, a second episode with Scott and Tracy Adams, our friends from elsewhere in Coleman County. I'll say this time since I pinned them into Holly Pond that I just think of y'all wearing green. I mean, just when I look at you, I think you're in green, you know. Well, uh, we really had a lot of fun if we'd been recording in the break here (laughs) that uh, we talked about. We realized real quick that uh, Scott and I have too much in common. And uh, Amanda and Tracy do too, but you know, I guess we're both blessed. We have uh, beautiful wives. We did outkick our coverage, and I've heard that more than once in my life. We had wives that supported our coaching careers and our dreams, and you know, that's kind of one of the reasons, you know, when I did go into administration, she had gave up so much for me, uh, being there all the time, raising my kids. You know, before our kids, and we were talking about this, before our kids were old enough to go to practice with me, I really, unfortunately, don't have a lot of memories of their young ages because I was spending time with others. Tracy, did you ever feel that a lot of times? I know when you had the boys and they were small, Scott was gone. He was gone a lot, but we we usually went right along with him. Not practice every day, but we never missed a game. Um, I remember even at Fairview when the boys were like one and three that we went to every game wherever they were. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, I look back at that now thinking I'm not sure why I did that, but (laughs) but we did. And there's nothing quite like the smell of your kids on the way home from a football game when they've been playing in the grass the whole night. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Uh, And we still have that now (laughs) with our younger ones. Basketball, was it Drew that's always waiting for the triple zeros? Yes, because he knew when it got... Triple uh, zeros, he'd get to go home. He would wait, he would hold his basketball in his lap and watch the clock. And when it got three zeros, he knew he could go. It was his turn that the game was over and he could go play on the court. Well, that's awesome. Some of our kids' fondest memories, I think, are being in the gym and uh, they talk about a lot um, one night in particular you remember when we decided to sand off the The closest the closest we ever come see I'm a cheapskate so you were kind of like me we did the things ourselves we painted the locker rooms we painted the locker (laughs) rooms clean bathrooms clean bathrooms (laughs) we did everything Tracy was sharing she washed ball uniforms did everything well, again, how blessed were we? Incredible. That we had them, because yeah. if we didn't, you know, but the times we had together, we looked back, and some of them were starting out. We lived in a trailer that would have fit in this room right here. We, we talked about in some of our episodes that kids nowadays feel they start out with the, they have houses a lot nicer than we ever did because their salaries are a lot bigger. That's right. But we look back, I'm kind of glad we started where we did because we have an appreciation for the different things. But she helped me so much with their thing. The closest we ever came to a divorce <laughs> is we have to have the center court painted. We painted a huge logo. Amanda was very artistic. Yeah. And we have to have that center court painted because they're coming to do the floor the very next day. All right, so Amanda, tell about that part. I don't even know what I did. I've never had back problems, never. 
But for some reason, it was like my back just locked up, and, and I couldn't move. But I had to paint the floor. The had, we, we put a big West so, Point logo and an arrowhead yeah. on the floor. Oh, yeah. Like you would hire, and it would cost you thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. But I had a free wife that was going to do this. <laughs> But it had to be done by the next day. So, so I laid in the floor and painted on my side. She couldn't set up, laid on her side, and we'd been we sanded the floor. Randy Jones and was that that same time? Yeah, I don't know why we got the idea that we were going to sand the floor. We sanded the floor with belt sanders the whole floor ourselves, and we did that whole thing. Randy and Regina, y'all know how big a court is, and those sanders are like twelve inches wide. Yes. So, yes. so we worked like a dog doing that. Amanda had to do that, but the kids thought it was the greatest night ever because Randy and them had uh, three kids there, yeah. and we had two, and they played together, and they rode around the scooters as up on all the top long. all night long, and and of course nobody went to sleep. But we finished it. Well, you were scared to go to sleep because we also had those big gopher rats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's some of our memories, but that's kind of what we were talking about. And one thing that uh, I guess as listeners out there that you hear, we just got back from a faculty retreat and really had a great time with it. And it really turned into a spiritual thing more than anything. And we talked about with our mission LHC here, we have a lot of you that are couples and you have told us you really enjoy some of the conversations and things. And we're thinking about trying in the fall to have like a little marriage retreat that we go back up to at Joe Wheeler. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it might be a night or two, but we just want, if we do that, we want to encourage you that, you know, it's really about spending time together. You know, a lot of you are young coaches out there listening or teachers or just young career people. You can get caught up in your career and you can lose track with each other. You got to continue to date. You got to continue because what happens is your kids start to take over your life. And uh, that's one of the biggest encouragements. But we were, so we were talking to uh, Scott and Tracy about that. And they got to laughing, so we might have to rethink our marriage conference, or we're at least going to have to rethink what we're doing. Y'all want to tell us, when you heard the word marriage conference, what what stood out in your mind? Well, how many couples would you say went? Ten? Ten? Or twelve. Yeah, and we jokingly say that about three of them ended marriages (laughs) in our marriage retreat because it was... uh, there was just some things that just were brought up that, you know, there was some real conversations that took place, and it may have proved fruitful on down the... the we're not going to do that to you. We're just going to really focus on the positives. We're not going to ask whose fault is it that, that certain things don't happen or... Uh, we thought about playing in some form of a newlywed game, but I think that might get you into more of a fight if you didn't remember a birthday. It may do it. It may do it. Yeah. So we, yeah, we had quite an experience, and it, it was a. I, I just remember the statement that Brother Randy Sellers, our, our pastor, made. He said, uh, "I'll never go to one of those things again." <laughs> so he was one of them that had a tough experience. Well, it, it might have been a little bit of something with the trainers you were talking yeah, about. Yeah. That one of the things that somebody heard through the hotel room. What was it? Yeah, they were. We're having a uh, knockdown drag out fight <laughs> during the middle of the night. So, uh, so do as I say, not as I was, do. It was skewed from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, hopefully, if we do have our first uh, Mission LHC marriage conference, that it doesn't end like that. But we may have to have Scott and Tracy Adams as guest speakers so they don't end up that way. They know what not to do. 
But um, but y'all navigated the weekend well, right? We, we navigated it well. The only Except problem, in the canoe. At the canoe, we didn't navigate the canoe well, and that's what our problem was at the end of it. We couldn't get the canoe to go straight, and it was it, it came down to the fact that somebody had to be the blame, and I wasn't going to take the blame, and there was other men that were navigating the canoe very well, and that made me look bad, and so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was our biggest problem of the of the conference. That was so only our only problem. Scott said Scott said they were supposed to go straight ahead. He was trying to get, you know beat these people. The next thing you know, they're over on the side of the bank, and uh, that was Tracy's fault. But, I'm uh, just gonna take a wild guess that you were paddling a lot harder. I think that may be what it is. I was trying to catch yeah. them, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so maybe that marriage conference teamwork was supposed to be there instead. <laughs> exactly. So it, it might have been that. Well, uh, why we had to start with this story is that we—that's some of my kids' greatest memories. Like we, they don't want to go anywhere Most with traumatized me. memory. Maybe. Because I, we look back and we have regrets. We're on a family vacation. We're in Florida. And we're on a family vacation, and we're in Florida. And of course, there's tennis courts at the hotel we're staying. Now, at. mind you. None of us play tennis. Okay. None of yes. us. We barely know the rules. So I'm out there, and the coach always kicks in. I'm trying to coach all of them. They just want to knock the ball back and forth, and I'm getting mad. That's ridiculous. No. Right? I mean, you're I'm not getting, playing to win. No, I'm getting mad. We've got to serve this way. We've got to do this. I think I even hit a tennis ball about 100 miles away. I'm pretty sure you threw your tennis racket like the McEnroe guy. Really, really you so. full-on went coach on this. The kids and I are crying. It's like, we just wanted to have fun. It's nothing like a family vacation. And, yeah, we got plenty of those stories. But, you know, I look, I look, man, you talked about that was my coaching career. That was my early years. You know, they, they some of my players one time had one of the funniest stories like that. You know, I'd, I'd go in there, and, and that was one of the things they liked. Looking back on a lot of my passion was that way. But I remember one day something was going on, and I slammed the ball down on the court. And in the gyms that we have, and our gym and Holly Pond's gym is the same. It had that metal bar that keeps that thing. So when I slam the ball down on the floor, it hits that metal bar and comes back and hits me in the top of the head. And the boys were afraid to laugh. And I just had to say, go ahead. And uh, that thing, it, I looked like a pinball. It hit boom, boom, right back in the top of the head. And I just had to laugh at myself. It was so good. But uh, but that's how, unfortunately, and we had a canoe thing. We wouldn't even get in the same canoe with each other because it was that way. We'd get in a fight over little things like that because of the competitiveness. Well, we had, I remember as, when we were dating, one of our biggest uh, disagreements, was put it slightly, was because we was doing putt-putt golfing. And she wasn't taking it seriously. <laughs> I mean, she would like hit it before the ball stopped rolling. She wasn't trying to get her score low. And I just could not understand that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm know. sweating because the guy I'm with is two strokes ahead of me. And I'm like, you know, come on now. You're, you're messing up the vibe here. And I've seen Scott that same way in church basketball or, uh, yeah. In, in everything. Everything. And But that's kind of what drives us. And, you know, here's the challenge that... I feel a lot of times, and I've been convicted about this, sports has ruled my life a lot of years. And I was a coach that happened to be a Christian. I really wished I'd have done most of my life being a Christian that was a coach. Mm -hmm. And now, I think being on the back end where we are, 
we see that. And we want kids, the young coaches, Drew and them and different ones to understand. I think Drew does a great job with that. He has that same competitive nature. And I don't think that's bad. Jesus would have been that way. And, you know, Billy Coleman one time, he gave a speech. And, you know, he told us if Jesus Christ was a football player, he'd kick your butt. (laughs) And we all laughed and we thought that was the funniest thing in the world later. But really, Jesus gave everything he had. And now looking back, I don't think really remember a whole lot of those scores and different things. I remember the relationships. I remember those kids that we talk about. When There's nothing better than when you see the kid in Walmart with their kids. Hey, coach, boy, look at that boy. Oh, it's a great-looking boy. You know, and you see that. They're proud. And those are the things. That's why we did what we did. And you still were blessed to get to do that. But... Um, you know, spiritually, tell me a little bit about your spiritual lives. You know, I I know you're both Christians, but Tracy? Uh, I became a Christian when I was about 15. Right. And uh, actually, Scott and I were high school sweethearts, so we started liking each other when I was in seventh grade and he was in ninth wow. grade. Wow. And so uh, at that time, we were going to Bethlehem East, which is where his dad pastored. Right. And he was a coach and a uh, teacher and a pastor. Yeah, we did That's that some straight. Can you imagine? Yeah, I have no idea how you did So anyway, I had uh, been raised in church, I guess, but but never never gone forward and, right. and, and made a decision and a commitment. So I was about 15 then. And, and I think it, and on one hand that was probably a better thing because I didn't have near as many doubts mm-hmm. and questions as uh, you know some people have when they go forward at a really really young age right. you know mm-hmm. I, I knew it was real and and I haven't had as you know I've always had more security in that decision I guess because I was older right uh, Scott hasn't had that security <laughs> yeah. near as much so I'll let him tell his story well I, this would this could be another two-hour podcast right. That's okay. Okay. So separate separate some kind of theological podcast or whatever but no I, I really believe and here we go again you know where I'm I, you know I'm not gonna filter because you never know when somebody hearing something yeah. might, it might minister to them so um, I, I really believe that kids that grow up in church uh, that where I've heard preachers say have a drug problem yeah. where they're drug to church on Wednesday they're drug mm-hmm. to church on Sunday have a sometimes struggle with their spiritual identity and their assurance of things than those that were not mm-hmm. because um, of, of, of different reasons. But, you know, I, I heard somebody say one time, I, I know that salvation happens in an instant. I, I believe that. I believe that's very sound. But some people arrive in it like a rocket, and some people arrive in it more like an airplane. Right. And so um, mine was a long airplane. Yeah. Uh, right. But but you know, early uh, at an early age, I made a profession of faith, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I did it because my brother did it, and you know things like that. And as years go by, I start questioning that, and I don't think I ever really. I don't know. I, there's no way that I can sit here and give you a definitive time when I was saved. Right. There's no way that I could. But when I was in the tenth grade, is when I started getting serious about things. Do I really believe in God? Do I really? Where am I going with my life? What is going on? And I, and it's just to the point where it just like consumed me for a while. I, I know before that, 
I was just, hey, how much fun can I have? How much trouble yeah. can we get into and not actually go to the principal's office? How much can we, you know, do this or that? And so 10th grade, it kind of started changing for me. But at that point in time, I really struggled, and I actually, you know, I, I went through the getting baptized again and getting baptized again oh, <laughs> and, and, and making a real profession of faith and things like that. And, and it, because I lived in the era of, and it's nobody's fault, it's nobody's fault, but in a lot of in, in situations growing up, maybe it was just me, but I kind of got the idea that being a Christian meant that you listen to a sermon, you got convicted, you got scared enough about not wanting to go to hell, that you had to get brave enough to walk the aisle, yeah. and then you had to go say the right prayer, then you had to shake everybody's hand, and, and, and you had to do it all right, and this, 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 which goes completely against... Uh, you're saved by grace. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and so mine was all of that. And I even remember, uh, you know, when I was a little older, uh, you know, I, I wanted to make a reprofession of faith, be baptized, and I was still into this thing. I had to do this, and I had to do that, and 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 it just would. And I and I want to say this. I, I got under the teaching of Benjamin's mothers. And uh, at Holly Pond First Baptist, he really helped me with that. And it it really has not been a whole lot of years to where. I really understood that it wasn't about what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was about my heart and about yeah. my what I was putting faith in. And and because and, and once again, I have OCD tendencies. Yeah, <laughs> my brothers and sisters could tell you how, just how weird <laughs> I was growing up. And um, I think the OCD, the competitiveness, all this kind of stuff. It was all about competition. It was all about uh, you had you had to do it yourself. You had to be self sufficient. All that kind of stuff. And it just took me a while. And um, I still have residual parts of that that where I struggle with. Hey, you gotta remind yourself. What do you this ever is make a checklist? Seeing you had to have a checklist. Oh, it, oh, it, I've got to do this, do that, forming out things. Well, it's hard to live up that. And a lot of people, we all grew up. Y'all did, and I did. I grew up in small churches. My whole story, my quick salvation story, is at sixteen, I was saved. I just was saved because I didn't want to go to hell. The hellfire and brimstone preacher, he's revival, and I went down there because I just didn't want to go to hell. And then I, about 19, I was sitting in my bedroom, and I was ashamed for everything I'd done. It was the realization of sin at that point. So I really think I was saved. I prayed the prayer. I really, in my heart, wanted Jesus to do that. Mm-hmm. But it was really more a get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm-hmm. Then at 19... I really understood all my sin. I'd like to say I was perfect from that point, but I wasn't. But see, a lot of times we look at Christianity because everybody is supposed to be perfect in church the way we kind of grew up thinking. Well, everybody had problems. This guy was an alcoholic that was over here. He's going to church. At least he is in church. You know, a lot of people think, well, the church is full of hypocrites. The church is full of sinners. We're all sinners. And then when we get to that understanding that there's sick people at a hospital. Well, there's sick people in a church. At least they're there trying to get help where they can get better. And that's what I want people to understand, that we've got to get beyond that point of thinking everything is perfect in church. And a lot of times we never shared our stories. We never told anything. So no one knew that anybody else in the church went through depression like you talked about. No one ever knew that my mom was sitting on the pew every Sunday but she was dealing with a, an addiction problem. My mom was a Christian, but she still had those problems that, that depression and things would take over and, and different things. Um, and I want to make a little disclaimer on that too. As I talked about, and of course I mentioned Benjamin Smothers, I was under fantastic pastors right. that taught the truth. It's just, um, 
there was things that I wasn't getting. Mm-hmm. And finally, I, you know, I, I finally got to the point in my life where I heard what I needed to hear that, that kind of settled some, yeah. some issues for me. And uh, I, I just think that it's important for people listening to this. There, there's people, I used to think I was the only person uh, that was like me. Yeah. Because we didn't talk about it. You didn't talk about your doubts. No. You didn't talk about your struggles. I can remember, you know, you didn't have the internet. Now you can Google anything, yeah. and I, whether that's good or bad. But I remember my dad was pastoring, and he had these books and, and these little booklets they used to have. And I don't know where they was from or whatever, but they covered a variety of subjects. I remember sneaking in the middle of the night and opening his closet real carefully and looking for booklets that might help me, just hoping he wouldn't ask me what I was doing. Yeah. Why? Because we, for some reason, it was like this shame that, you, I just was so often I think, man, I wish I could come across somebody that thought just like I did and was struggling. And then I realized when I started being honest with it, I found a lot of people. Like yeah, and, and, and it is. And, and that's why I think it, we are better today with a lot of the things people do understand. There's more people being open about stuff like that. And that's kind of the whole thing with what we're in DMD right now. And it's all about telling our stories. And if I tell my story and the person I'm talking to doesn't have a story, it lets them know that I can show them how to get a story. Mm-hmm. But we, they need to understand that everybody, all of our stuff, and you know the thing about it, your story is your story, and you're the eyewitness to it, and you know what it is. Nobody can take that away from you. All of us have that. And you know, Amanda's got a salvation story like that. You know, Yeah, I mean, the dangerous part for my story is on the outside um everything looked fine and i could have continued to to play that part for my entire life and nobody would have been wiser um i could have died and y'all would have buried me and thought everything was good but it wasn't it wasn't good um something you said earlier made me think you you said the word shame i think so many times we get hung up or confused about the difference between guilt and shame and that guilt guilt can be a good thing because the holy spirit can use that conviction to push us in the right direction and we feel guilty when we've done things wrong Mm -hmm. but too often i think we associate that with shame and we're afraid to ask somebody to help Mm -hmm. we're afraid to share our doubts with somebody Mm -hmm. and get help well, Amanda thought we were doing children's church, we were serving, we were doing everything in the world, and she was up doing a devotion at church, and you were 20 what? 24. And she was doing the devotion for the whole church, and all of a sudden she had to get down and realize that she had to get out of the altar, and she got saved that night. Wow. But man, that yeah. took a lot of guts. Good, yeah. Because mm-hmm. you're in charge of our kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I think a lot about it and thank her for being able to do that. And, uh, you know, the, the thing I think we also make it too difficult. Yes. You know, the simple thing is, is what I do when I talk to somebody and try to lead them to the Lord and whatever that we go through. It, we make it complicated. The prayer doesn't have to be some big sophisticated thing with all these words. God just wants you to speak to him. You, As long as you believe in him, you believe Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and you ask him to come into your heart and you turn from your sin. It's that simple. And what I like to do is show them the Romans road the scripture afterwards. 
Because once they prayed that, did you do this? Did you do this? You know, and what bothers me a lot of times and where my doubt would come with certain things like that is when I prayed that prayer and I got up, I was expecting I wasn't a bad guy. You weren't a bad guy. We didn't see that life change all of a sudden that we were an alcoholic and it was taken away yeah, from exactly. me. Exactly. So our lives didn't change. You were raised in a hard family that, that that you acted this way. You didn't act up. You know, my daddy would kill me if I do this exactly. that way. So our lives didn't show a huge change. Mm-hmm. And that was where I struggled because you see this other old buddy that was doing all kind of things and he got saved and he didn't do none of that anymore. And that's what a lot of people, but I just try to give them the reassurance. If you believe these things and you've done this, now you should always feel Jesus with you. That Holy Spirit, and I used to think it was my conscience telling me not to do something. No, it was that Holy Spirit that once I got him in. But I think we try to make it too difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we overthink it. And if we didn't, if we're not check, doing that checklist that you were talking about, I, I can't live up. I don't. I must not be saved. Yeah. Because I can't. I, I, I didn't do this. Yeah. Well, we get hung up on the rules of religion. Yes. And well, we do. And and you even like you talk about the prayer. There is no sinner's prayer in the no. Bible. No. And 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 you. It, it's your. It's your. It's it's what you are looking to for salvation. You know. And we just told this story in Sunday school where the the children of Israel that were being bit by the serpents. You know, mm-hmm. and they. And God told Moses, put that fiery serpent up. And when they looked to that, well, Jesus then used that reference. He said, just as Moses uh, did that and the people looked to that, I'm, that's me. Yeah. So you look to what I did. And when we do that, then we take the focus on ourselves. When we start saying, okay, at that moment, you know, you can even get to, if you're OCD like me, you can say, okay, at the moment when I asked Jesus to come into my heart, did I really mean it? Did I really repent of all my sins? Would I have died for him? Would I have done this? Well, what am I doing? I'm putting all the emphasis on uh, you. Yeah. And when, when the truth of the matter is, you say, God, I'm broken. I'm pathetic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have no hope. Make, help, you know, the prayer I've got to pray often is, Lord, help me to love the things you love and hate the things you hate because the truth of the matter is I love some of the things you hate and I hate some of the things you love. Amen. And only you can change me. Yep. And you know, even Paul in the Bible talks about that. He you know, he, he struggled with it daily. Some of the greatest people in there, he struggled with the, the flesh. Yep. And, you know, I can't remember exactly, but, you know, he hates the things that... What is it? The things he don't want to do, do, he ends yeah, up doing. doing and all that. Man, and I relate to that. Because I want to be better. You know what bothers me? And a lot of times that I've I've put God on the back burner, like sports was my God. You know, I, I could know every play in the universe. I had a play sheet. I had too many plays when I was a coach because my brain went in 500 directions. If I simplified it and made it easier on them and just run a few things well, I would have been a better coach. But I was doing 8 million things. And... But I could do all that, but I wasn't studying the Bible like I needed to. I wasn't praying like I needed to. And, and that's why I wasn't growing like I needed to. And, you know, I think we get older, we start trying to change a little bit. We start understanding. But, you know, that's, that's the spiritual journeys we have in this continuing to, to journey. And right now, I'm at a stage where I, some of the things that we went through in the stories, if our stories can help people not do the same mistakes, that's what a parent wants to do. Parents want their children to have it better. And, you know, that brings us into the one of the big focuses that we wanted to talk about in this one is you mentioned that you had two children that are older. 
But now you have a, a four other children. Is that correct? That is uh, well, tell us about that. You know, y'all were foster. How did that happen? Yeah, how did it happen? <laughs> tell the whole story about that. That's a good that. question. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. Sometimes we ask ourselves that. I One night we had all of them asleep everywhere, and Scott will look and say, how did we end up with all these kids? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, our boys were 11th grade and 8th grade, and we started having a little more extra time as far as we were still going in all directions with their activities and stuff but but they did have times when they would go to friends and houses mm-hmm. and you know things like that they had such a strong little group of friends and we knew all their parents so they were always back and forth so we had a little bit of extra time and and I guess the thought one one of the things that I guess made us become foster parents Scott had a seventh grade student who loved Holly Pond and um, he got put in foster care. And there wasn't anyone in the Holly Pond community um, at that time that, that could take him into foster care. So he had to not only leave his home, but leave his school. Mm-hmm. And so um, we were like, we're going to get, we're going to become foster parents. And if that ever happens again, we can yeah. take them home with us. So it was connected to school, you know, our original intentions. Um of course, God had more right. than that. Uh, we started the classes, and like I said, it was the spring of, of Drew's 11th grade year and Colby's 8th grade year. Started the classes, and as we were going through, we just told them the whole, you know, we had two kids. We weren't planning to adopt. We were going to foster, and, uh, you know, we shared all of that. So we get our li- foster license. We're in um, at the Grand mm-hmm. Hotel mm-hmm. in Foley. Because uh, we were, Scott and Drew Cole, we were playing golf. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in the hotel room while they're at the, most of the time I went to the golf course with them. But for some reason that time I didn't. And um, I had stayed there. And so DHR calls and says, we have a four-year-old little girl and an eight-month-old um, little brother. And they need a place to stay. And I said, well, we're out of town, you know? And I, I said, I can't tell you we'll come get him until I talk to Scott and he's at the golf course and you know, all that kind of stuff. So it was like, okay, talk to him and call us back. So I called him and we're like, you know, maybe this is God telling sure, us yeah. this is what we're supposed to do and this is not what we envisioned it being. But so we we call them and tell them we'll take them and and they said that um, they would find somewhere for them to stay two nights, not to cut our trip um, short. And so we drove back, spent two nights, drove back straight to uh, DHR to get Violet and Terry. I'm trying to imagine what your thought process was in those two days. Or were you going through, okay, I, don't, oh, I, I need this, through. I need this, I need that, you know. And the what? ages really weren't even correct yeah. uh, that they had given us. Violet was, um, well, she was three, she was four four years and nine months, but Terry was uh, nine and a half months. He was a little bit older than we thought. And so um, Violet and Terry were our first first mm-hmm. kids. And um, through the years, anyway, we, um, we ended up, their parents had Lizzie. Well, we already had Violet and, and Terry. We won't go into all the details, right. but eventually we, we did get Liz. And so we our first adoption was a sibling group of three. And so we had, uh, in all, we we fostered for nine years, wow. a little over nine years, and we had 15 kids in our home, uh, three of them very, very short-term. Uh, 
more like respite situations, mm-hmm. but then 12 were longer term, and out of the 12, we ended up adopting four. Wow. So we, we had um, Cherry Violet and Liz for a while before their adoption um, had an appeals process. And mm-hmm. anyway, it, it went a long time, and, and then um, later, connecting to basketball, um, December of 2013, uh, I'm keeping the scorebook and my phone keeps ringing and keeps ringing and keeps ringing and I'm trying to ignore it because I'm keeping the scorebook, sure. keeping up with three kids and yeah. Scott's coaching and Colby's playing the next game and uh, you know, we anyway, finally at halftime I go and call this number and it was a social worker on call. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, um, for, at that time, DHR, you know, just has to do the best they can when they take a, a child into care. So right. they said, we we think it's a one-year-old. We're not even sure, boy or girl. We just know, you know, we just need somewhere. It's a, it was December 20th. It was, we'd just gotten out of school for Christmas break. And I'm the one who does all the Christmas shopping in September and October because I don't like crowds. Right. So hey, I have to get it all done before basketball well, she, season. That, so. That's another similarity. You know, Amanda has turned into a great online shopper. Oh, oh me too. Yeah. So me she too. don't have to be the crowds and doesn't have that's to do everything. So anyway, I call him back, and and so Scott comes out of the locker room at halftime, and I, you know, call him over to the corner of the gym and say, "Can we get a one-year-old? You know, can we get?" <laughs> and so uh, anyway, I called them back. Well, by the time I called them back, they said, "Wait a minute, it is a boy, and it's not one. We think he's younger than one." You know, and anyway, ended up to be Jackson, uh, eight months, and wow. um, so we. I said, I'm keeping the scorebook, and, and Kobe plays next. We can't miss this ball game. So once again, they, another foster parent took them, and after the ball game, we all go into baby mode because we didn't have a baby then and, mm. and, and didn't have that much baby stuff that wasn't packed up. So so uh, Scott takes the other three home, gets them baths. I go to pick up the uh, new baby, and then Drew and Colby, I send them to Dollar General with a list of <laughs> baby things. Go get all these things. So anyway, the, I guess the rest is history. We've we've kept those four. Well, that's awesome. Well, tell me what was uh, Drew and Colby's thoughts on the foster kids? What, was it a difficult transition for them or no? I don't think so. I, I, they they might tell you a different story. I don't right. know, but uh, they were very supportive. They were very busy in what they were doing. Um, and then soon Drew, you know, after the first year, he was off to college, yeah, college. and stuff like that. But uh, they were always very helpful, very supportive. And uh, I, I think that uh, I thought the transition went pretty well. I, I think we all learned a lot from the process. Yeah. Um, you know, we, I guess, just think other people live like we live. Mm-hmm. And you realize when you get into foster care that, <clears throat> you know, right now there's like 6,000 uh, foster children in the state of Alabama. They're begging for foster parents. And, you know, <clears throat> I don't know if Scott Hatton have, <clears throat> excuse me, if Scott Hatton have finally put his foot down and said, you're losing your mind. We've got to get out of this. Because yeah. we still, after we adopted the four, we fostered for years wow. and had two more foster children along with our four. And it just really was, we were too, you know, spread too thin. Yeah. We got to the point where we felt like our four needed Needed, needed you more as the pink, yeah. because when you're fostering and you you have to constantly readjust your normal when we would have mm-hmm. kids come in and then we'd get attached and then they would leave you know that was hard on our other four 
But um, I think it taught Drew and Colby a lot of things. Now, I, I will say that it probably got on their nerves a lot. Probably still does sometimes. Right. But, um, you know, and it was uh, hard sometimes. But I think they saw the kids in need. Mm-hmm. I think it actually probably, my I have a relative who always said, you're, you're taken away from your kids. You're taken away from your kids. And finally, I had to say, no, you're wrong. Right. You know, yeah. we're actually mm-hmm. pouring a whole lot more into yeah. our kids. Well, and, and I want to make that mm-hmm. very emphatic because I've had people say, you know, okay, I just wondered, do you, I, I was always wondering if I did this, would, would I love the, the, love them the same is my, and, and the answer, it said, do you? I said, absolutely. They are our children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're our children just as much as Drew and Kobe are. They mm-hmm. are our children. They mm-hmm. are part of our family. They are little brothers and sisters. Yeah. And they have every bit of, I mean, there, there is nothing about them that is not our family. Right. And, and so, um, you know, I, I think, you know, and we felt that from the very start. And we just felt like the, those those four, we felt like when we got them that they were meant to be with us. We just did. We just felt like these are our kids. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's been tough. And, and, and you, it's been a challenge. And but, y'all are mom and daddy to those kids. Absolutely. They, they, I mean, they know no different exactly. that, that you are that. And, you know, I said that, and that brings in, I, I've told people before that I have kids that I've talked to that's in the office or something that, are adopted or whatever that and you know I said anybody can father a kid but not everybody can be a daddy you know and that it doesn't take a whole lot to get someone pregnant or whatever with that part and you know but there for y'all what you've done when I have a kid like that you loved them that much to take them in you had no control really with Drew and Colby they were just going to be yours there but even that special relationship you have with an adopted child it's almost even more because you chose. Them. Right. It's kind of like right. Christ choosing us, mm-hmm. right. and that's what I've tried to tell people before. And you know what I thought the moment my kid was born, I remember being in the nursery, and I didn't know which kid was mine, and I looked at the three babies right there, and I couldn't read the sign from where they were, and I didn't know which one they could have picked any one of those babies and brought it to the window, and I would have said, oh, that's my baby. <laughs> and I believe I would have had a connection because that's kind of where y'all were at. And, you know, that that's that's what it is. So, you know, there is a need out there. Definitely. And what yeah. would people do if they're interested in fostering? You know, how do, how do you go about Who do you talk to? Do you have any idea about that? You can talk to any, any DHR office. Um, there are other agencies too. Our our last couple of years, we fostered through the Alabama Baptist Children's Home, right? And it was a, a great experience. We we got out for a while. We fostered the first years through Coleman County DHR for about six and a half years, and then we got out for a little while, just feeling like we had to have a little bit of a break. And then when we got our license again, we went back through the Alabama Baptist Children's Home. So there there are different agencies all around, but. All, everyone goes through the GPS classes and the training, and and there's a lot of things you hear in that training that you think, oh, you know, this is really not going to happen. Kids aren't really going to do this, and uh, you'd be surprised. You know, they're, they've been in hard places. Been in hard places and what they went through. Exactly. And uh, we thought about even, like, we wish we'd had a third child. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, we even talked, we had that empty nest syndrome almost, and we really, I wish I, I would have liked to have more children, and we didn't. But Lord knew exactly, but, you know, I can see how that fills a void, but you also feel a need that's out there. So, you know, there's so many couples right now that in, they, they are not able to have children. They're, they've tried and different things, and, and so, you know, that, that may be an encouragement to them that, you know, fostering and stuff sometimes... The, the blessings you've had with these children, they are your children. And you know, so maybe that's something for couples to look into. And, you know, you've seen a lot of times that it's happened that people's adopted a child, mm-hmm. and then they all of a sudden have a child. It's yeah. the stress, the pressure, yeah. but maybe it was the order that God wanted. So, you know, whatever it may be, but, man, that is an awesome story, and I appreciate You know, and, and Matthew 18, 5 said, And whosoever shall receive one such child in my name receiveth me. You know, and I think that's what God, he talks about when people are harmful to children and they do, that we're going to answer for a whole lot. And that drives you crazy when people have hurt children and different things. But I think you guys are going to be blessed and you have been blessed, not not because of what you're doing for them, but what they've done for you. Absolutely. I you think know. it's just a beautiful picture of your testimony, seeing you walk out your faith. And, okay. you know, that family member that thought you were, taking away from your older children no you were providing a picture a model of what you of love right. of what you I want so for too. them and i just think that's beautiful and i want to be you know be really clear the fact that we're not special because we do this mm-hmm. um the, everybody has their thing if you're a believer you have a ministry yeah this happens to be ours yeah it's mm-hmm. not for everybody but there's going to be people listening that will listen to this podcast that it is it may be for them right and we and, have former students yeah. and you know that's a huge blessing in our lives mm-hmm. former players yeah. that have become foster parents yeah. and you know I, I think yeah. sometimes it's mm-hmm. because they have been around our kids yeah. you know yeah. and, and mm-hmm. seen well, I'll close with this right here, and this is something for everybody to think about. Amanda and I has been on several mission trips, and we've worked with certain orphanages and different things, and we went to Africa, went to Uganda, and we saw orphan kids everywhere. And it didn't hit me one day until we came back here and we started talking about right now in our school, we have so many grandparents that are raising kids. Because the parents are just too sorry to raise them, and that that's that sounds cruel, but they 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 put themselves in front of it. They like their lifestyle, the things they do, and their kids are just left out for nothing. Luckily, they have grandparents helping. But what we said one day, and somebody brought this up, and it was an aha moment for me. Right now, we have a group of parents, this generation. You know, I've said this, and y'all can relate to this. The kids nowadays are the same as when we grew up. The parents are not. And the, the kids, we were rambunctious, and like you said, do what we could do, see how far we could push it. The same way now, but there's nobody to pull them back. There's no boundaries. But they said, what, what's going to happen one day? Right now, the parents are not raising the kids, the grandparents. When the grandparents die and the kids we have in school right now are having babies, who is going to raise them? Their parents that didn't raise them. We're going to have a uh, we're going to have orphans everywhere in the United States. Is people from other countries going to have to come here to help raise our kids and help take care of them? And so, first of all, we're calling people that God has put uh, told us that we're supposed to take care of the children. We're supposed to, but 
they also need we need people that be able to help take care of the 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 fatherless mm-hmm. and so that's just an encouragement but again guys we really have enjoyed it um i you know i appreciate you i think we have a lot in common our families but more importantly you know we are all christians and hopefully that something we said today helps to encourage you and i appreciate y'all being real and again that's the the main purpose behind this is our stories are our stories but if they can help you that's what it matters but uh we do really appreciate you guys joining us. We appreciate you guys uh, being willing to invite us and, and really enjoy the conversation. Like I said before, even if this wasn't going on a podcast, this would have been a great conversation. Yeah. <laughs> well, I encourage you. Again, we, we talked about this. One of the things, listen to this episode. I encourage you and your spouse or whoever it is, friends, girlfriend, whoever, talk to each other about things. And, you know, it's, it's designed to spark conversations and make you think about your lives and maybe situations that you've been in. So, again, we appreciate it. It's good having y'all. Thanks for coming. Thank Thank y'all. Thank y'all.